Welcome to Stories of Iceland. I shall start with chronology. If you have not yet listened to the last episode, you should do so right now. This tale grew, and a short explanatory note became ever longer, so I made the introduction shorter. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. I'd like to thank all of my supporters, especially Troy Williams, a friend of the podcast. Join my supporters at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. There is extra material there. Notably a post accompanying last month's episode about a Faroese ballad performed by... Tyr, or Toyr, a metal band from those islands. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 48, The Shield Maiden's Wrath. Iceland is in the North Atlantic, its capital city is Reykjavik. At the end of the last episode, I introduced the character of Brynhildur, also known as Brunhilda. If you know a little bit about Brynhildur, especially as she appears in Richard Wagner's The Ring of the Nibelung, you might think, you likely, you likely think of her as a Valkyrie. One of his operas is even named Die Valkyrie. Kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit. Kill the wabbit? Oh, Brunhilde, you're so far away. Yes, I know it. I can't help it. For me, that has always been a strange aspect of her character. It doesn't really make much sense. To understand how Brynhildur became known as a Valkyrie, we need to look at the Edda of Snorri Sturluson. A section in that book is Skaldskapramál, a sort of manual of poetry which explains to the reader how to use and understand poetic language. The core principle is a kenning. A kenning is basically a word or a phrase that needs to be deciphered to be understood. Often it refers back to other stories. The function of a kenning is not to confuse the listener, and remember that this is originally oral poetry, but help the poet avoid repeating the same words or names. It is also convenient to help the poet comply with the meter and the rhyming scheme that they need to follow. A simple kenning would be the owner of Mjölnir. We know that the hammer Mjölnir belongs to the god Thor. He is also the defender of Ausgarður. Tyr is the one-handed god. The sea is the blood of Ymir. 
Some kennings mentioned are more akin to synonyms than what we would think about as poetic language. In this manual of poetry there are bits of the story of Sigurdr, both verse and prose. When it introduces Brynildur, she is called a Valkyrie. Other sources don't do this. The word used for her is usually shield maiden. The word Brynhildur can be viewed as a kenning. Brynn means armor, while Hildur means war or battle. The obvious implication is that she is a female warrior. I think the author of the manual made a poetic leap and assumed that this meant she was actually a Valkyrie. We should remember that sometimes a name is just a name. Names might have meaning as words, but that meaning is not necessarily a description of the person. My sons aren't, respectively, a battle rock of Thor or an ocean king with a helmet of purpose. They aren't characters from an epic poem. The saga of the Wolfsungs and the German lay of the Nibelungs refer to real historical people. This is a shaky subject because it can easily be taken too far. These stories and poems aren't history. They use aspects of real life which have morphed with time and have been reshaped for narrative purposes. There was an actual Queen Brunhilda who was married to King Siegbert in the 6th century. They ruled a kingdom called Austrasia an area that stretches from the shores of the English Channel in the west, and to the east it included parts of what we think of as Germany today. They and their subjects were Franks, and they spoke a Germanic language we now refer to as Frankish. While the people to their south mostly spoke Romance languages, that evolved or morphed into what we now know as friends. This general area is the main setting for Völsunga saga, though it does stretch as far north as Denmark. There is also an extremely anachronistic mention of a king in the area of the Rus. To drive home the point that the saga and epic poems are not history, we need to remember that Attila the Hun also inspired an important character in the story, even though he died a century before Siegbert and Brunhilde became king and queen. Though her name meant battle armor, this queen wasn't a warrior. To a poet, this doesn't really matter. The language of poetry is built for nominative determinism. It is easy to imagine how Queen Battle Armor morphed into a shield maiden. Plato told us that poets aren't to be trusted, and this is what he meant. The needs of a narrative structure and symbology take precedent when the poet tries to grab the audience's attention and keep them entertained. Norse tradition has various shield maidens who, to me, seem to be human, or at least as human as their male counterparts. There were also Valkyries who are said to have selected the worthy from among the battle slain. Later these two groups began to be conflated, most likely by Christian writers such as the one who called Brynhildr 
a Valkyrie in the Edda of Snorri Sturluson. And now for a little tangent. The existence of seal maidens as historical figures, or how common they might have been, is a very open question. There is a trend to think of pre-Christian people as more progressive in gender politics than Christians. Shield maidens are often seen as an indication of this. I think we need to remember that most sources portray Norse society as patriarchal and misogynistic. While they might have been better in some ways than their Christian neighbors, they might have been worse in others. I would be quite happy if I could tell you truthfully how my Norse ancestors were noble and wise in every way. They were in fact flawed people, but their stories might not be as interesting if they had been paragons of virtue. What I was saying about Valkyries and shield maidens, names and their determinism, boils down to that Brynhildur was widely seen as a warrior in Norse tradition. There seems to be only one real source that makes her out to be a Valkyrie. The saga of the Volsungs is based on various Eddic poems, the ones we know and maybe others we can only imagine. The people who try to translate these poems into a single narrative needed to interpret poetic language as well as they could. I think the example of labeling Brynhildur as a Valkyrie in the Atos Norristurlsson shows that these interpretations weren't always perfect. There is an important ring, or ringur, in Volsunga saga. It is the literal ring of the Nibelungs, and it also influenced Tolkien to write two books that focus on a ring. In the saga, it is a bit unclear what type of ring this is supposed to be. Norse culture placed a high importance on rings, but they were worn around the neck, arms, and fingers. In Volsunga saga, the ring is said to have been removed from a hand, which might mean the bits with the fingers, or the limb as a whole, not a neck ring at least. My guess is that it was a ring around the upper arm. A so-called finger gold would never be seen as being as valuable as this ring. There is also a possibility that this ambiguity has been a part of the tale for a long time. The poems which the saga of the Wolfsungs is built upon are episodic in nature. If we try to put them together into a coherent story, we run into difficulties. They might be a part of a greater story, but it isn't clear if the poems we know were telling the exact same version of that story. In some cases, we have the same story told in a few poems that all differ in some aspect. There are points in the saga of the Wolfsungs which feel like speed bumps, where the writer was stitching together stories from different sources. My feeling is that there might have been earlier versions of the story which ended when Sigurdur rode down from the heath, having killed the worm. The waking of Brynhildur, the sleeping beauty, feels as if it is a way to connect two stories. Maybe the hero who killed Fafnir wasn't always the same character who fell in love with Brynhildur. 
This is all conjecture on my part, but this podcast has always in part been about how stories come into being. I know it might be frustrating that I often ask more questions than I answer. In the last episode, I implied that Brynhildur and Sigurdur were destined for a happy life. Unless that was the first episode of this podcast you ever listened to, I assume you understood that to be a joke. The same goes for an act break in a play or movie. An episode of a television series can't just stop at any point in the story. The same goes for these poems. The poet might not sing the whole story of the Wolfsungs in one night. He might only sing one of the most popular parts. I am doing the same, but there is difficulty in this. Should I tell the saga from start to finish? How much story can be told in a single episode? Now, back to Hinterfjell, that is, the mountain of the female deer. Brynhildur has been giving Sigurdur all sorts of great advice. Do not fight with drunk men. And lastly, never break a vow because a cruel vengeance might follow, said Brynhildur. There has never been a wiser or more knowledgeable woman than you, said Sigurdur. I am crazy about you, and I swear that you're the only one for me. Given the choice of any man alive, I would choose you, replied Brynhildur. Now Sigurdur rides away. His shield, helmet, and armor... And all his weapons are golden brown. On each there is a picture of a dragon, so that any man will know that he is the one who killed Fopnir. His eyes are so quick that none dares to gaze upon them. He has brown hair and has thick brown beard. He has high cheekbones and a prominent nose. He is very tall and his body is just wonderful in every possible way. He is known as the greatest hero north of the Sea of Greece, and his name will be known while the world still stands. The sword Grammer is sharper than any other, and nearly as long as Seurder himself. He can wield it better than any man, he can bend bow, throw a spear, and he is also courteous in every way. Brynhildur had a sister called Bakhildur, who was as skilled in the traditional ways of women as the other was in the ways of war. It is in her halls that we next meet Sigurdr. As the greatest of all heroes, he was shown every courtesy, and in turn he showed magnificent courtesy as well. Then Brynhildur arrived and ignored everyone there. When he could not meet Brynhildur, Sigurdur became so distraught that the son of Bakhildur came to him asking, Why are you so sad? Why are your hawks so sad? Why is your horse so sad? Sigurdur replied that he had seen the most beautiful woman in the world. The boy knew who he meant. You have seen Brynhildur, Bødladóttir. The dragon slayer acknowledged this, but the boy told him to pay her no mind, since he could never have her. Sigurdur said that he would give her gold and gain her love. The boy replied that Brynhildur did not want any man. She only wants to fight and to gain renown. This just focused our hero's intent, and so he met up with her the next day 
and explained his desires. She replied that he should not place his trust in women, for they always break their vows. He did not give up and eventually convinced her. To seal the deal, he gave her the best ring from the hoard of the dragon Fafnir. Brynhildr's father was named Böli, a rich king who also had a son named Atli, who was mean, large and black, but also graceful, and a magnificent soldier. There was another king named Guki, almost as rich as Böli. His kingdom was south of the Rhine. He had three sons who were named Gunnar, Högni and Guttormr. His daughter was Gudrun, an illustrious maiden. These children were better than any other king's offspring. They were well-built and attractive. The king's wife, Grimhildr, was less well-liked, for she was a cunning and cruel woman. Once their daughter Gudrun was with her ladies. They noticed how sad she was and asked what was wrong. Gudrun replied that a dream had upset her. One woman replied that she herself often dreamt of how the weather would be, so there was nothing to be upset about. Gudrun replied that the dream had not concerned the weather. She had seen a beautiful hawk in her hand with golden feathers. The woman replied that many had heard of her beauty, and the dream foretold that a king's son would ask her to marry him. Gudrun replied that she knew nothing better than that hawk, and she would give all her wealth rather than give him up. The woman replied that this would be a wise man, and that she would love him very much. Gudrun replied, I am frustrated that I do not know who he is. We should go to Brynhildr. She'll know the answer. When Brynhildr saw a golden wagon nearing her palace, she said that this must be Gudrun Gjukadotir. I dreamt of her last night. Let's go out and meet her. No prettier woman will visit us. After Brynhildr had entertained her guests for some time, Gudrun asked her, Who are the greatest kings of all time? Brynhildr named a few, but Gudrun said that those had been too slow when they needed to take vengeance. She also asked why her brother had not gotten a mention. Brynhildr replied, Your brothers are yet to be tested. The mightiest king might be Sigurdr, son of Sigmundr. He was only a child when he killed the sons of King Hundingur to avenge his father. Tell me more, said Gudrun, and Brynhildr related Sigurdr's whole backstory. Now the women went to the halls of King Yuki, and who shows up but the hero himself? Everyone thought that Sigurdr was wonderful, but when Grimhildr saw how much he loved Brynhildr, she decided that it would be better that this great king would marry her daughter Gudrun. At a feast one night, Grimhildr invited Sigurdr to drink from a horn to affirm their friendship. When he did so, he promptly forgot all about Brynhildr. After this, Grimhildr plotted and managed to get the dragon slayer to marry her daughter. Sigurdr even gave Gudrun a slice from the dragon's heart, which made her wiser but also crueler. 
Sigurður bonded with his two new brothers-in-law, Gunnar and Högni, and went with them to fight wars and earn renown. Grimhildur had not stopped her scheming ways and soon convinced her son, Gunnar, that he should marry Brynhildur. He went off with his brother and Sigurður to find Brynhildur. Her father, Böli, did not reject the offer, but told them that Brynhildur would only marry the man who could ride through the ring of fire that surrounded her halls. The three men continued their journey and found the hall. When they tried to get closer, Gunnar found that his horse wouldn't go near the fire. He thought the problem was the horse, and asked Sigurdur to lend him Grauni. But even riding the greatest horse of all time, Gunnar couldn't go near the fire. Now Sigurdur and Gunnar decided to swap appearances using a method taught to them by Grimhildur. Even though the fire seemed to grow more intense when he approached, the dragonslayer rode through unscathed. When Brynhildur saw him, she asked who he was, and he replied that he was Gunnar Gjukason, who had come to marry her, having already asked her father's consent. Brynhildur didn't know what to say, but it seemed that the man before her was a worthy match. They spent three nights together, but Sigurdur put his sword Gramur between them and explained that if he did otherwise, he would die. During this time, Sigurdur secretly swapped the ring he had given her earlier with a lesser one from Fapnir's hoard. Sigurdur and Brynhildur parted ways so that they could make their separate arrangements for her marriage to Gunnar. Brynhildur stopped by her sister's halls and asked her to foster Auslug, the hereto unmentioned daughter that she had had with Sigurdur. The wedding was held at the halls of Böli, father of Brynhildur and Atli. After the feasting had gone on for days, Sigurdur suddenly remembered the vows he had exchanged with the bride. Since he now seemed happy with her new husband, he said nothing. Some days later, Guðrún and Brynhildr went to the river Rhine to wash themselves. The latter seemed to be avoiding the other by going farther out into the river. When Guðrún asked her what was going on, Brynhildr replied that she didn't really think they were equal since her father was richer and her husband was a more famous warrior. Guðrún was angered and replied, you would be wiser if you would be silent instead of maligning my man. Everyone knows that Sigurdur is the greatest warrior, having slain Fafnir. He even rode through the ring of fire disguised as Gunnar to win your hand. Just take a look at my ring. Which once was yours? Brynhildur went pale as death when she recognized the ring and returned home without speaking a word to anyone for the rest of the day. When Sigurdur joined Guðrún in bed, she asked him why Brynhildur was so unhappy. Sigurdur replied, I don't know, but I have a feeling that we'll find out soon. Guðrún replied, Why can't she just be happy? She has wealth and the husband she desired above all else. Sigurdur said, where was she when she said she had the best man or the one she wanted the most? Guðrún replied, 
Tomorrow I'll ask her who she wants most of all. Siurda replied, Please don't. You'll regret it if you do. The day after, Brynhildr and Guðrún were attending to their duties. When Guðrún said, Be happy, are you angry about that thing we were talking about, or is there something else bothering you? Brynhildr replied, You have only bad intentions and a cruel heart. Don't be like that, said Guðrún, just answer the question. Brynhildr replied, You shall pay for having Sigurdur, a nobler and braver husband than my own, while I can't love him or enjoy his golden hoard. Gudrun replied, Gunnar wasn't afraid to ride to the flame. It was just a, it was just a horse that wouldn't do it. Brynhildr replied, I think your mother Grimhildr is behind all of this. Gudrun replied, You shouldn't say that. You are her daughter now. Brynhildr replied. Grimhildr gave Sigurdr a cool drink that made him forget my name. Guðrún replied, that is a lie. After this, Brynhildr went to her bed as if she were gravely ill. King Gunnar asked her what was wrong, but she was quiet and still as death. When Gunnar repeated the question, she confronted him with the whole story his betrayal by sending Sigurdr through the flames and of Grimhildr's scheming. The accusation against his mother upset him. Gunnar said, She loves you and would never hatch any secret schemes. Brynhildr then tried to kill him but was stopped by his brother Högni who put her in chains. Gunnar said, I don't want her in chains. Brynhildr replied, It matters not, since you will never see me happy in your halls. I will not drink, play, match wits, make clothes, or give you advice. After this, Brynhildr confined herself to bed. When Sigurdr returned from a hunting trip, Gudrun told him that that he should try to wake up Brynhildr. Sigurdr replied, She does not sleep. She is planning something big against us. Gudrun said, that is even more of a reason for you to go. Give her gold to soften her rage. Sigurdur went to Brynildr and tried to get her up by saying, Wake up, the sun is shining. Shake off your sadness and be happy. This did not, in fact, work. Instead, Brynildr made accusations while Sigurdur tried to point out that things weren't actually that bad. This escalated until Brynhildr said, My greatest sorrow would be if I could not find a way for a bitter sword to be reddened with your blood. Sigurd replied, Don't worry, you will not have to wait much longer, and you will not live much longer than me. Few will be your life's days from here on. Brynhildr said, That does not upset me the least. Since you betrayed me, I have lost all joy and care not if I live or die. Sigurd replied, Live and love King Gunnar and me. I would give all my wealth for you to live. Brynhild replied, Little you know of my nature. Sigurd replied, I would gladly make you my wife. Brynhild replied, That is impossible. I cannot have two kings in one palace, 
and I would sooner die than betray King Gunnar. Sigurður said, I would rather abandon Guðrún than have you die. At these words his sides bulged so that his chain mail ripped asunder. I don't want you, said Brynildur, or anyone else. Seeing that he could not convince her, Sigurður left. Now Gunnar tried, but she said, You shall lose your kingdom and your wealth, your life and me as well. I will go back to my kin unless you kill Sigurður and his son. Do not raise the wolf pup. Gunnar now went to his brother Högni and plotted. They justified their actions by saying that Sigurður deserved punishment for taking Brynhildur's maidenhead. Because they had sworn vows, they could not kill Sigurður themselves. Instead, they decided to goad their brother Guttormr to do the deed. They boiled a worm they found in the flesh of a dead wolf and gave to Guttormr. This filled their brother with furious anger, and when Grimhildr told him what he should do, he obeyed willingly. Guttormr went to Sigurdr's room, but when he met the dragon slayer's eyes, he turned back. Another attempt yielded the same result. The third time Sigurdr had fallen asleep and Guttormr swung the sword with all his might. As the sword struck him, Sigurdr woke and threw his sword at his retreating attacker, slicing him in two so that the lower part of the body fell back into the room while the other landed outside. Guðrún had been sleeping in Sigurdr's arms and now she was awake and crying. Don't cry, said Sigurdr. Your brothers live. Your brothers still live, but I have a young son who needs to be protected. I swear that I did not break any vows willingly, and I wasn't too friendly with Gunnar's wife. As the king died, Guðrún let out a sorrowful sigh, which made Brynhildur laugh when she heard it. Afterwards, a great funeral pyre was built for Sigurdr and his three-year-old son, who Brynhildr had also had killed. His killer, Guttormr, was upon it as well. Brynhildr came out, having given away, or tried to give away all her gold, taunted the living, and then died. She was also laid upon the pyre. This is not a happy ending, but it seems to be an ending. It is not as though I left out any foreboding sections about how there was yet more blood to be spilled. That is it for today. Thanks to Vita von Helstere, Emily Cooper, Emily Harper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgason and all my other supporters. I am Olignestis Oliason and this has been Stories of Iceland. Episode 41, The Shield Maiden's Wrath.